Vincent Werbeck's Derby. Turn to your left, turn to your right, look at the person next to you, sitting either side. I want to ask you a question. What if the person sitting next to you knew everything you've ever done? Every single thing. I spent New Year's Eve in Derbyshire. My in-laws live in a place called Worksworth, just down the road. And we were, um, spent our time having a curry, watching Jules Holland. And we, because it was the New Year 2020, we were reminiscing about where we were at the turn of millennium. Who remembers where they were at the turn of the millennium? Now, my wife's family, they're all in church praying, thinking the second coming was about to happen and praying that the millennium bug wouldn't strike and... I was sitting there and I kind of wistfully said, I was smashing up a phone box on the high street um, because it was true. It was much, much a surprise to my family, to my wife included. She learned a lot about me that night. But I wonder if the person to your left and to your right, if they also knew everything you'd ever said or maybe everything you've ever thought. You might be sitting next to your husband or wife and feeling a bit uncomfortable right now. But imagine, would you be okay with that if they knew every single thought? I didn't grow up going to church. Um, I spent my first 14 years of my life um, in a seaside town in Sussex called Littlehampton. But by the age of 14, my parents had been long divorced. They divorced when I was two, and we had lived in seven different council houses, council flats. My dad was a single parent with three kids. I was the youngest of those three and by the age of 14, I'd experienced all kinds of abuse growing up. And, and in the end, I was, I was so full of anxiety, so full of anger that I ended up running away from home. And I ended up in London, which I thought was a bit like Frank Sinatra's New York. I thought, this is it. I've made it. It's going to be amazing. And then I ended up being at my mum's house. And my brother at the time, he had moved up a bit earlier. He was older than me. Still is. That's how age works. But um, he had become a pirate radio station DJ. I don't know if you remember those. But he was a drum and bass and jungle DJ for a radio station called Erotic FM. I'm not even making it up. And so if you're in the northwest London area, HA1, HA2, HA3 postcode, you could pick up at certain times of the day Erotic FM and hear my brother as a, a drum and bass MC and DJ. But life was chaotic. My mum worked nights, so she would go to work at 7pm and not return until 7am, which meant as long as the place was tidy, we could do whatever we wanted. And as teenagers, we all did. And we did a, an amazing multitude, plethora of activities, which parents would not like to know about. Um, and the thing is, is by the age of 15, I had um, adopted a quite a high tolerance for alcoholic spirits. And so I was in a pub with my brother, age 15. Uh, we were having a pint of Stella, and in comes a guy selling illegal DVDs. Do you remember those? Before you used to stream them, right? And he came to our table. I looked through his collection. And after a fiver, I took home a pirated copy of The Passion of the Christ, which I just thought, it must be a combination of my two favorite films, Gladiator and Sister Act. And so I went home and watched the shoddiest copy of this film. You know, the subtitles so blurry because it had been filmed on someone's Nokia 6440 or whatever it was. And there was a guy walking past with popcorn. But for whatever reason, as I watched this film, I fell in love with this depiction of Jesus Christ. I'd never gone to church growing up whatsoever. No one had died in my family. I'd never been to a wedding in a church building. But for whatever reason, there was something about this image of Jesus that compelled me. There was something about the kind of company that this Jesus carried that I'd never known about. 
I suddenly saw these kind of ragamuffin disciples around Jesus and thought, in a moment, as a 15-year-old, maybe I could be like one of those guys. Maybe I could count myself to be around Jesus. And so someone from my school that same week invited me to church for what, probably what was about the hundredth time, but it was the only time I actually listened. And I ended up going, but I was so nervous, so racked with, I just had no idea what church would be like. My only frame of reference was Sister Act 1 and 2. It was my only frame of reference. So I just thought, because they were kind of young people, that they were just singing gospel, gospel songs, and it would just be like, there would be nuns at the front dancing around, and that's just what I thought it would be. But I was so nervous, so I stood at the back, had a few beers before I came in, and I kind of stood right at the back, just swaying, watching what was going on. But for weeks and weeks and weeks, the congregation, of which they were just, they were all teenagers, it was a youth church, all teenagers, just showed me love in a way that I'd never experienced. They were completely non-judgmental, they completely didn't have a care for what I'd been up to in the week before, so that they just accepted me with kind of love and invited me over to their houses, and I remember being in a cell group, I didn't even know what one of those things was, and it was someone's front room and there wasn't enough seats, so they got a mattress from the spare room and put it down and they lit some tea light candles and got out a Bible and someone played a guitar and I didn't have a clue what was going on but they accepted me they loved me and then I remember one week a guy stood up at the front and said next week I'm going to give anyone an opportunity who wants to give their life to Jesus wants to start following Jesus an opportunity to do that publicly to come to the front of church and say yeah I want to follow Jesus from now on so that whole week nearly every day I was thinking it's one day closer to that Sunday it's one day closer to that Sunday but I was living at the time in, in Harrow, which is London's most multicultural borough. And so I got friends of all kinds of different faiths. So my main question was, why Jesus? Out of all of them, why Jesus? And I came to the conclusion just at the end of that week that in Jesus you have a hope that no matter what you've done, no matter what you're going to do, no matter what you're doing right now, there is a hope that Jesus does the heavy lifting so that you can experience and live in God's grace. And the second thing was this, that in Jesus he shows us a father Throughout all his parables and the way he lives his life, he points towards a father that never gives up, that always pursues. That if you run away and you want to come home, he's always waiting. That he eagerly pursues his children, that he calls them sons and daughters and and wants them to live eternally in wholeness. So you find a father that never gives up. But the thing is, I came to this Jesus thing with baggage. I came to it with, with stuff with stickiness, and, and the Bible often calls this stuff sin, but what it literally means, it's like, it's almost like being covered in marmite, <laughs> like it's sticky, when you hug people, it would, it would stick to them too, and as you go around the place, you, you kind of stick to stuff, and that, if you've been through some mess in your life, which I'm sure all of you haven't, you all look lovely, if you've been through a little bit of mess, you know that that stuff sticks, and it's hard to shake it off, it's hard to get rid of, Purcell doesn't do the job, Daz doesn't do the job, it's hard, and, and the Bible calls that stuff sin. So, so I came to church with that stuff. I came to this Jesus thing with that stuff. So what do we do with it? What do we do with our brokenness? What do we do with our guilt? What do we do with our shame? What do we do with our trauma and our damage? Well, if you've got a Bible, whether it's on your phone or uh, in your pocket or whatever, it's coming up on the screen as well. We're going to look at Psalm 32. It says this, Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven. Whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them, and in whose spirit is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy on me, my strength was sapped in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you, and did not cover up my iniquity. 
I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Therefore, let all the faithful pray to you while you may be found. Surely the rising of the mighty waters will not reach them. You are my hiding place. You will not protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my loving eye on you. Do not be like the horse or the mule, which have no understanding, but must be controlled by bit and bridle, or they will not come to you. Many are the woes of the wicked, but the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the one who trusts in him. Rejoice in the Lord and be glad, you righteous. Sing, all you who are upright in heart. The Bible starts with a garden. Right at the beginning, page one, starts with a garden. All is sweet, all is good, but there's one rule. You can do whatever you want. Just don't eat that apple from that tree. But like any children, I'm a father of daughters, and I know this, if you tell a child to do something, there often is an incentive to do the exact opposite. And so similarly, that act creates a division between them and God. And today we experience that same thing as we do the stuff that that sticks to us. It creates a division between us and God and us and our neighbor. God says to us today, this is what it looks like to be my child. Don't do that thing. That's what it looks like to be my child. Choose otherwise, but like a good father, like a good parent, With God, there's always a return ticket available. There's always a way back. There's always a get-out clause. Thing is, as humans, we just long for reconciliation between one another. Now, I don't know about you, but my family's messy, and we have all kinds of beef all the time, but there's always something inside of us that says, I'm going to acknowledge that, and there's something that we'd love to repair. I'd love us to be like that perfect family. I'd love us to be going on family holidays and high-five while playing Uno. I want that stuff. And actually, it's a completely human thing to desire that reconciliation. In fact, it's also a very animal thing. In the animal kingdom recently, scientists have seen that there are, um, that even animals display this desire for reconciliation. When two dogs go at each other, once they've resolved their conflict, one dog will often lick the other dog's head. Even when goats butt each other, They often show or display a sign of compassion for one another. Some chimpanzees are known to hug one another after a fight. There's, in fact, only one animal that doesn't display this kind of behavior. Can anyone guess? One type of animal. The domestic cat. I knew it. They're evil. Furry little ornaments. Just sitting there judging. (laughs) Non-compassionate. The thing is is the first step to reconciliation, the first step to saying, you know what, there's some mess. The first step to doing that is what the Bible calls confession. Now, confession is one of these words that has all kinds of baggage attached to it. But I want us to try and get that out of our minds. All confession is, is admitting that we need help, that we got it wrong, that we're powerless to change the mess that we found ourselves in. Step one of the Alcoholics Anonymous 12-step program is admitting that we are powerless to our addiction and our lives have become unmanageable. I need help. When a, a couple stands before a priest and a congregation on their wedding day, they confess their love to one another, which is literally saying, I need help. I can't do life on my own. I need someone else to draw alongside me to help me be all that God has made me to be. I need help. 
after a horrendous killing in an Amish school of some school children, some of the parents visited the funeral of the killer who turned a gun on himself. And a reporter asked one of the parents, how have they attended this funeral? And he said this, that the acid of bitterness eats the container that holds it. In other words, if we don't do something creative with this anger, if we don't do something proactive with this pain, then it will destroy us. Some of us are carrying some stuff, some past hurt, some some anxiety, some stuff. But when we confess with our lips the pain that we're feeling, the separation that's become apparent, the mess that we're in, that confession almost works like a deep tissue massage that allows that muscle of compassion to move again. A writer, Paul Wilk, says that confession has everything to do with mental health because... It releases and relieves the anxiety that's associated with keeping secrets. We weren't created to keep secrets. The first secret that was kept, we see in the Bible, is in Genesis, right, right away, when the minute they eat the fruit, they start passing the blame around. They start keeping secrets. We're not made for it. But the problem is, there's an evil myth that goes a bit like this, that I am surely the only person who's ever experienced this type of pain, or I'm the only person that's experienced this activity, or I'm the only person that's been through this kind of mess, or I'm the only person that's ever been through this life. Therefore, no one else could possibly have the solution for what I need to find reconciliation and wholeness. And then because we put ourselves in that position, we then become our best doctors. So we start medicating ourselves, and we say things like in our head, well, I deserve to get absolutely smashed because of what happened to me as a kid. Or I deserve to treat people like dirt, or I deserve to sleep around, or I deserve to manipulate and gossip because of the pain I've experienced. Or I deserve to hold on to the bitterness and anger towards that person because of what they did to me. The psalmist wrote this, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. However, when we choose to break the chain with our lips, freedom comes. When we let it out with our lips, life gets messy. But guess what? We've all got mess. By definition, the reason we came here isn't because this is the coolest place in Derby. I mean, it might be. But the reason we came here is because we are all in need of a saviour. By definition, as Christians, that's why we do this thing. We don't do this thing because we can't think of a better social activity to do. We do it because we're all in need of help. 1 John says, If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And James writes, Therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. So if confession is the stuff we do with our lips and our words, then repentance, again, one of those words that's heavily charged and heavily loaded, again, try and remove that from your mind, but repentance is literally what we do with our lives. As we speak, our lives follow. The reason that that parent in the Amish community could attend the funeral of the killer is because in their community, forgiveness and repentance are a daily practice, a muscle grown in the small and the mundane, that when something extreme comes along, There's strength there. Repentance is literally walking in the way of our confession. 
you confess, I've messed up, I've done something wrong, I need wholeness, and repentance is saying, I'm going to choose to walk away from brokenness. I'm going to choose to walk towards wholeness. Confession is saying, I've hurt you, we need to sort this out. Repentance is saying, I'm going to walk towards reconciliation. I'm going to walk through this, however difficult it is, to try and find a resolution. Thing is, it will come no surprise, but Jesus' first ever sermon he preached didn't have three points. It didn't have great slides with memes. It didn't even have a fancy illustration. It was this, repent for the kingdom of God is near. It's not a fear-based sermon or someone with a a bullhorn or a loud hailer, but it's a a sermon of compassion. It's saying, if you continue to walk in the mess that you're in, you're going to miss out on what God has for you. Following Jesus is a lifestyle of repentance, not just a fad diet or a New Year's resolution, but it's an everyday choosing of the wholeness that God has for you. Everyday choosing life over death. Choosing his plans over ours. Choosing the narrow path over the easy highway. I spent 14 years after, in, in, in total silence about the abuse I'd experienced growing up. And nearly every time I'd try and tell someone, I'd just, I'd just doubt myself, second guess myself. And I'd just, the lies in my head would just repeat over and over. You're not worthy, you're not, you're not worthy, you're not good enough, you're not good enough, you're not good enough. And then eventually I, I, I told the same school friend that took me to church, because by that point we're engaged, we're now married with two kids. Um, and I told her, and then we told the police, and then a four-year investigation led to a prison sentence for the perpetrator. And as I had been able to confess something with my lips, as I was able to tell people, I felt like I was given a choice to continue walking in that silence, in that shame, in that pain, in that self-containment, holding myself back. Or choose freedom. The psalm we read earlier says, The Lord's unfailing love surrounds the one who trusts in him. Repentance is a sign of trust. Saying, you know what, I'm, I'm, I'm going to choose you, God, your plans, your vision for my life over my own that I can control. I'm going to choose your vision for my life that might lead me into more mess, but you're, you're pulling me on a trajectory towards wholeness, to glory, to glory, to glory. The thing is, the psalmist who wrote this psalm wasn't able to see God in human flesh. But we can see that the God who walked as the son of Nazareth walked in exactly the same way as the father of Israel. When Simon Peter, one of the disciples, messes up, right at the last moment, right at the 11th hour, completely messes up, there's a way back. Jesus, over breakfast, says, do you love me? He says, I do. And he reinstates him and puts him back on towards the trajectory that he had for his life. And there's a story Jesus tells of a son who does all he can to upset his father. He does all he can to mess up that relationship. And yet there was a way back. In fact, the father runs out to meet his boy who's messed it up. He goes out to bring him back. But it starts with a word, a confession, help. And then our feet follow in the way of repentance. And pretty soon we're going to be celebrating the the meal of communion. And communion reminds us that we're all broken. We all start from ground zero. And that is, we're all broken, all in need of help. Whether you've got a doctor or a dog collar. Whether whether you consider yourself a a Jesus Club card-carrying member. Or you're here writing an expose on this new contemporary form of Christianity. We're all in need of help. 
We all need help along this way. And so as we eat this bread and drink this wine, the question is this. Will our feet follow in the way that our lips confess? However, we never do this alone. We never do this Christian thing alone. It's not an act of will or an act of effort or an act of work. But God himself in in Jesus Christ says, I'm going to send my helper, my Holy Spirit, so that whenever we're struggling every day to walk in the way of our confession, to repent, to literally walk in a different way, when we're struggling with that, the Holy Spirit is there as our helper in time of need. But it starts with one word. And that is help. 